Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3, or on 133 LUS Fiber, the game hotline, 706-0111, 706-0111 on this glorious Tuesday morning. You know, perfect, perfect, a perfect victory is is hard to come by, but last night was pretty close. Scored a few too many runs. I'd prefer to score would have been like, I used to say like five to one, but I'm I'm kind of like at about a you know seven to two is kind of getting to be. I, I'm getting a little more greedy. I'm wanting a little more offense these days just to see it because they were so down the first two months offensively. Um. They got to nine too quickly, made me nervous, but they finished at nine. And so I think slash hope they'll be okay today. Um, It was funny last night. I don't know if any of you caught it while watching the Astros on TV, but Callis, who I like, some people don't like, I think he's good. And I love him because... His his understanding of the Astro organization, even though he hasn't been there all that many years, is there because remember for those his dad did the Astros even before I was an Astro fan, like back in the sixties and early seventies. His dad there, so he was kind of like his very early years were running around the Astrodome, and so I like him. But anyway. He asked Jeff Blum. He's like, you want him to get to double figures? It, it, it's funny when people start to, they just get so close to understanding the game. Uh, and I love seeing examples of it. So he asked, Callis asked Blum, who I also like, even though he hit a home run in the World Series against us, and we can't forgive him for that. Um, do you want the Astros to get to double figures? And he, and he basically said, watch out what you wish for, because he went down all season every single time except for one time, and now I think that was because of errors. And that can – walks and errors. I mean, that can happen. Um, The Piper's fine with walks and errors. But every time the Astros scored double figures, except for one time in Minnesota, they scored five the next day. And I, and if, I have to go back and look, but I, I remember – I think the Twins helped big time in that deal. But – they, they either got shut out or, get, or scored like one run. He goes, you sure you want to score double figures? I'm like, look at TK starting to figure the game out. I was proud of him. But anyway, um, great victory. I have an Astro fan friend who's just, no matter what he does, he he he, he does not trust Framber Valdez. I, I don't like that he's so emotional sometimes. Even though some of us, I'm not going to mention any names, tend to get a little emotional during games sometimes as well. Um, he's had 12 consecutive quality starts. Now, I understand some of us kind of 
like to downgrade a quality start. A quality start in baseball is you go at least six innings and you give up three or fewer runs. Now, I mean, if you get if you have a bunch of them where you go six innings to give up three runs, you can lose a fair amount of those games, and that's not necessarily pitching all that well. But still, it's some sort of baseline of you're pitching pretty good. Like, you at least last six innings, which 50 years ago wasn't as big of a deal as it is now. I mean, now, you know, a lot of guys go start games and don't go six innings. That happens every night, multiple times. So, um, that's pretty consistent. Uh, man, he is... The Astros, you know, whether they're up nine to one or down three to two, they 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 don't seem to be getting many calls, check swings, and it just I don't know. They're just going through a funk with the umpires. Hopefully, it turns around. But um, but no, he and he keep he got frustrated again last night, a few times. I'm not a big fan of Alonzo, the big teddy bear. I don't know polar bear they call him first baseman for the Mets. I did not look. I don't follow the Mets on a daily. I mean, I watch the highlights here and there. I see, you know, the, you know, you see them in the standings. They're, they've got a good record, a really good record. Pete Alonso, I did not realize he can't hit left-handers. What is what sense does I, I can't even fathom that he's a power-hitting right-handed hitter who can't hit left-handers. He. Every at-bat last night, he's trying to dump a single into center field like he's like Zach Grinke or somebody. Like, his entire approach last night as the cleanup hitter on a team that leads the National League in run scored is to get a single through the right side. That was his ultimate goal. Can I get a single through the right side of the infield? And... Look, there's nothing wrong with singles through the right side of the NFL. A lot of us say, just take the single. There's a time for that. But when you're the cleanup hitter and you got runners on second and third and, and two outs, and you're down by heaven, you got to try to do or leadoff batter. Like one time he was a leadoff batter. I don't know. It's just something about this guy who weighs, you know, 280 pounds or whatever he weighs, and he's got all these home runs and. All he's trying to do is sneak a single through the right side every at back because he can't hit left-handers. Man, he needs to figure that out. He needs to figure that out. But I'm glad because I'm I'm not a I don't know something about him rubs rubs me the wrong way. You can't be that cocky and you're a right-handed power hitter and you can't hit left-handed pitching. Uh, I don't think I'd be too cocky if I can't hit left-handed pitching as a right-handed power up hit. But anyway, um. Great victory. The Astros should be 7-0 and on this New York stretch. But 5-2, and still not bad. Uh, my goal, remember, was 5-4. and So they're 5-2 and with two games left. They play this afternoon. 110 first pitch at City Field. And then they play the Yankees tomorrow. By the way, if you didn't get the news yesterday, over the weekend they were discussing a pitching matchup of Verlander versus Cole. That is not happening. Verlander's pitching today. 
this afternoon's game, and Cole isn't pitching either. It's Severino and Luis Garcia. And so um, that's the pitching matchup for tomorrow night's little one-game weird, you can't even call it a series, it's one game uh, at Minute Maid Park. So that, 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 that will be fun to see how they can finish it out. Uh, I said it at the very beginning of this, that the Astros, in two of their three, if not all three, but in two of the three, nine, three city trips that they took before June, they went six and three on those trips. This wasn't a three city trip. Although, no, but this nine game New York stretch, six and three wouldn't be bad. Especially since if they go six and three, should be shoulda, coulda, woulda been eight and one. Of course, somebody's got to beat them. The Astros haven't trailed. No one has stepped to the plate in an Astros game where the Astros were trailing since last Saturday, a week and a half since they got crushed by the White Sox in game two of that series because they scored, what, 13 runs or whatever the night before, which was stupid. You never want to score 13 runs in the first game of a series. That was stupid. And, of course, they got shut out the next game. But they haven't trailed in a – no one has stepped to the plate with the Astros – for either team, with the Astros trailing since last Saturday, since I was in Seattle. Who won like which one last night? Two to nothing. Mr. Feisty Jesse Winker hit a home run. Two run double. Looked like it was a home run. He thought it was a home run, I think, but it went off the wall. So we'll see. No, we'll see what happens today. And uh I think, you know me, I'm not a big what's the what's your record right now, but I think the Astros got percentage points ahead of the Mets last night, so. Astros and the Yankees could be meeting tomorrow, depending on what happens today with the two best records in baseball. And I'm sure people will have fun with that one. All right, before we get to our first timeout, and after that timeout, we'll be talking to Cokie Riley, getting caught up on some on things going on at LSU. And for the summertime, there's a lot going on at LSU. So we got plenty to talk about. We'll do that after the timeout, but first let's go to the game hotline. Talk to Martin. Hello. Morning, my buddy Foot. How you doing this morning? Man, was that a that was a great victory last night. Y'all had a tough one yeah. with the Blue Jays. We had a tough one, but it's still it's still a glorious morning. You wanna know why? I'm listening. Because finally some calls didn't go the New York umpires way. The New York, and what do they do? They cry like a bunch of babies. And Aaron Boone, that so-called manager, throws a fit and gets tossed, which I was laughing. That's better than a comedy act right there, the manager getting <laughs> tossed to the New York umpire. Now, that doesn't mean that the umpires aren't cheating for the Yankees anymore. They just did that to not make it quite as obvious. We all know that the umpires are cheating for the Yankees. But they're still not going to win. So, but, and one more thing I'm going to touch on. Uh, since the Yankees played uh, the Astros, our little buddy Paul changed his tone of voice, man. I think he, I, I think he's running scared right now. Now that they played the elite team uh, in, the, in the Astros. Uh, but they got a tough schedule coming up, and you're going to love 
You're going to love the Red Sox a little bit more when we sweep them uh, in a few weeks. But man, that's all I got to say. All right. Take care. Thanks for the call. Uh, we're going to get to that later in the show. We're starting to hear, I think, again, th- there are good fans of every sport, of every team, and then there are bad fans of, of sport, of every team and every sport. But you, we're starting to hear some of the Yankee side, starting to get signs here and there from from the Yankee side where they're starting to when they're not quite as delusional as they've been about, you know, the Astros and that whole situation. I think they're starting to, uh, to come around. So I'm proud of them. Um, give them, you know, again, it, 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 what they say will mean more to me if they could just, you know, not be so over the top, with some of their stances about that. And so you're, you're, you're starting to, 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 to hear, I'm starting to hear some of that and see some of that. So it's, um, it's good. Again, doesn't mean anybody's going to win or lose. I mean, look, the Astros dominated the series, but last year when they came to Houston, they dominated the series and the Astros stole one out of three. And in this case, this happened to be a four game series and the Yankees stole two wins that they shouldn't have had. Uh, you know, it happens. Doesn't mean it, it. It gives you a good feeling, and it might mean something come October, or November. But who knows? It, you know, so much. Again, we're st- it's almost July. July is Friday. We learned a couple days ago. July is Friday, but it's still late June. Long, 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 long way to go. Certainly like where the Astros are, though. Let's take a timeout. Shift gears. We'll talk to Koki Riley about all kind of stuff going on with the LSU Tigers, especially uh, in in baseball. We'll do that on the other side. And the game, 103.7, Laviette 104.1, Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Speaking of the Astros, a friendly reminder, don't forget Astro Getaway number three, Saturday, July the 30th. You can be there, but only if you register for the game clubhouse. You do that by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. You might win four tickets to that game, a tour of Minute Maid Park, hotel accommodations for that Saturday evening, all part of Astro Weekend Getaway, powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston, downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Speaking of the LSU Tigers, we have our weekly visit now with Koki Riley. How are you, sir? Doing really well, Kevin. What's up, man? Well, you know, my Astros having a little fun. Uh, had a frustrating 2-2 two and two with the, the Yankees, but been beating up on the Mets, and so... Um, you know, you need to like the Astros because the Astros resurrected the Red Sox season. I don't know if you remember that. 
It was in the uh, it was it, the Red Sox were off to this awful start. The Astros went to Fenway. They won two out of three over the Astros, and they've been on fire ever since. Yeah, yeah. It's so I'm taking full like credit. Yeah, yeah, I'm taking full right. credit. Yeah. You are right. Yeah. Um, uh, frustrating loss last night for the Red Sox, though. Just well, a, yeah, the just Blue Jays really, are good. Really yeah, but I mean loss. the Blue Jays are good, and, and the Red Sox are good. I mean, you, you would you lose like seven to six or something? I mean, that's gonna happen here and there. Yeah, yeah, and it had to do with um, so the Red Sox closer Tanner Huck couldn't go to Toronto because he isn't vaccinated. So they were in a situation where they were up by a run in the ninth inning. They couldn't use the closer, and then they lost um, Tyler Danish um, past the eighth inning and into the ninth. And kind of those two uh, more frustrating things combined sort of ended up in. Uh, uh, I, 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 I understand. I understand the Astros lost two the some. Well, one of them was somewhat similar to that, even though it didn't involve COVID. All right. So I'll always like to get our little Astros Red Sox fix at the beginning of the conversation. LSU <laughs> baseball. The season is over, but the news has not stopped. I mean, I'm trying to remember. And the last time a major league like manager or pitching coach or hitting coach left in the middle of the season to go to play college. I mean, this is, I'm not saying it's unprecedented, but it's pretty unusual. And and he got triple the contract. He got triple the money. And so you can understand why he did it. Yeah. Um, as, as it pertains to this pitching move, I, 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 did some digging into, and I've seen the official contract. Um, it, it comes in at only around three hundred eighty thousand a year, uh, but the athletics have been pretty insistent on their reporting that he's actually making, you know, somewhere around the ballpark of seven hundred fifty thousand. Um, when you add up all the, uh, I, I don't know, maybe under the table. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, incentives when it comes to this sort right, of deal. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Call it. I just call it TAF shawls. But anyway, go ahead. What What does TAF shawls mean? Actually, <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> no, shawls is just a term that means thing. But you know, you you get money from like at the high school level to boosters, the college level to boosters. Put in the rest of the money it doesn't all come technically from the state. But there are major league managers that are making just a hair above what LSU's pitching coach is going to be making right now. Yeah. I mean, as we all know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, Louisiana and LSU baseball is, I mean, the popularity, the, um, the money that people are willing to spend on it, just the, just the, the, the attraction of it. Um, it, I mean, LSU, LSU baseball is major league baseball in these parts. So, uh, that where the money came from and the willingness to spend it, that doesn't come as a surprise for me. Um, but I mean, it's still really interesting and still should be considered as a surprise that a major league pitching coach um, decided to come, not only come to college, but come back to college after all this. And, uh, and, and apparently Wes Johnson, his, his family also um, is from the South and he wanted to be closer to his family. And part of it was definitely a family decision which certainly makes sense. Um, but it's still, at the end of the day, they got one of the best pitching coaches, not just in college baseball, but probably in all of baseball um, on the planet. And, uh, and to take him away from a major league club is 
it was definitely something. I, it, I've, I've never seen it before, for sure. And All right. I, I so, doubt that it's ever happened before, even though I can't, even though I don't think anyone can really confirm that. Um, it's not like there's a flog of where pitching coaches have gone and not gone in the past. So, it's is still, the, again, fascinating story. Is there a history that I'm not aware of between Jay and and and, and Wes, or how, how? What's the deal there? Well, like, what's the is there? Um, what's the connection there? From everything I can tell, I I don't think there really is a direct connection there. I saw a report that they tried to pry him away from Minnesota last year uh, when they were when LSU was trying to find their uh, first pitching coach under Jay Johnson. Um, they ended up. Uh, they ended up landing Jason Kelly, who ended up becoming uh, the head coach of Washington. And Jason Kelly is an excellent pitching coach in his own right as well. Um, speaking of the major leagues, Jason Kelly actually uh, interviewed for the San Francisco Giants pitching coaching job uh, like, you know, like two, three years ago. Um, but anyway, like I, I, yeah, there is no like direct one-to-one connection from what I can tell. I mean, Wes Johnson has passed what, before, before the Twins. This past was a year at it was two years at Arkansas, a year at Mississippi State, and then four at Dallas Baptist. And I didn't really see any when I was doing the research. I didn't really see any like direct one to one overlap there. All right. In addition to a new pitching coach, which is you know anytime you're a, what I call a glass half full fan and you and, and you get changes like that, it, it's easy to get optimistic. Lots of uh, transfers, lots of new players and names to learn via the transfer portal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when, when you look at this LSU transfer portal, I mean, just, just recently I had Carter Young from Vanderbilt, the shortstop, uh, really struggled this past season. But the year before, he had 16 home runs, which led that Vanderbilt team. Um, that was a Vanderbilt team that, of course, made the um, national championship series. Uh, so... He's definitely a talented kid, Carter, um, and he did MLB.com's top 200 prospects list for the draft. Not sure if he'll actually go into the draft just because he was just not very good at the plate this past season, to be quite frank. Um, kind of dealt with an injury at the very end of last year and um, might have been dealing with some stuff this season, too. So that's something to keep in mind. But it'll be interesting to see like if they can get him on track offensively and if he comes, of course. Um, I mean, then there's are probably the most important additions in terms of filling up holes, and that was in the pitching staff. I mean, could they add Christian Little, who's also from Vanderbilt, uh, pretty talented kid, um, but just couldn't quite find like a like a sustained starting role for Vanderbilt. Um, was very pretty, very good for them out of the bullpen. Kind of struggled more as a starter, but he definitely has the talent for sure um, to make an impact with this team. Uh, I believe. I don't. I don't believe he's draft eligible, but I'd have to double check on that. Uh, and then there's Dylan Tebrake, who was the Big East pitcher of the year the last two seasons. Um, that was a really huge addition for them because they needed a guy who is an established starter, someone who, who um, can come in there and kind of be this ace-like figure. And the Big East isn't the greatest baseball conference in the world, but it's still a really good addition. Um, and he is draft eligible, though, so there's a there's a decent chance that he doesn't come um, to LSU. But we'll see. Uh, it, it all kind of comes down to the money, so it's kind of impossible to tell whether he will or will not um, come over. And uh, and then another addition I definitely want to mention is I mean Tommy White. I mean he led the nation, in the NCAA in home runs for a freshman with 27 this past season at NC State. 
Uh, and to add a big bat like that, that kind of fills in perfectly the Jacob Berry-sized hole they had in their lineup. So you can plug in Tommy White, and maybe it's not the same exact thing, but it's something uh, eerily similar uh, when it comes to adding. And there's also Jack Pineda, another shortstop uh, they got from Baylor. He, he, he doesn't have big power numbers, but he definitely gets on base um, quite a bit. So uh, that's sort of the the, the that's sort of the uh, the idea of uh, the five guys that they've brought in from the portal so far. And um, I guess they'll, they'll bring in more, and uh, they'll bring in more pitchers, and they may and then they may bring in more guys after that because of the MLB draft. So we'll see. I told myself when the portal thing really got going, whenever that was a year or two ago, that you, we've got to stop looking at trying to figure out what's going on behind the scenes. But it, it all was a little curious that they got two guys from Vanderbilt. Like like this past year um, at Alabama in softball, Alabama's one of the most respected softball programs in the last two decades, top three or four of the last two decades, you could argue. And yet they got players just flying out of there. Some of it is just, well, that's the transfer portal. And some of you are like, what, what, what's going on here? Is it futile in your mind to even worry about that? Or is it because the transfer portal is totally out of hand and totally crazy, you just it's just the way that we are. It's just, it's just the way status quo is in college athletics now. Yeah, that I mean, part partially that, yes, and partially I think a lot of it has to do, a lot of this movement just has to do with the fact that, you know, when a player commits to a program, they're not really committing to a program, at least in my view. They're more committing to a coach. They're more committing to an assistant coach who works with their position, who they believe in, who, you know, who they built the relationship with to want to come to this, to come to this place in or out of state to develop their skills at and eventually become a pro. And when that person leaves, whether it's an assistant or especially if it's the head coach, then a lot of the times you see in a mass exodus of players heading out or a few, at least a few players heading out. Um, I believe there was a report from the advocate that said, for example, just with LSU baseball, uh, look at a guy like Jacob Hasty. Apparently he entered his name into the portal because he wasn't quite sure, sure uh, what LSU was going to do with their pitching coaches or situation. Again, advocate report, not my report. Um, but but still, it's it, that's just one example. And you look at with LSU football and, and LSU basketball, especially uh, a lot of the portal movement there was mostly because Will Wade was no longer the head coach of the team, and, right. and those were his guys. And they were still able to bring a few guys back, which is really impressive, by the way. Um, but that just sort of gives you the idea of gives you the idea with LSU and with the transfer portal, just so, just sort of how important coaches are in this in this equation sometimes players just leave because you know they need more nil money or there and there's other reasons too like it's not always because of the coaches but i think that's the thing that's driving this bus I, I think i think the coach is one thing and i think another thing i think a lot of player athletes commit to a recruiting pitch and when they get there and that recruiting pitch is not exactly what they thought then they just get get disgruntled and then you know one thing leads yeah. to another uh, it, it's, um, it, it, it's, a, it's, I don't know what words to say. I don't really like it, but it's a certainly an interesting, uh, era, fat era of college athletics. All right. I, I don't know. I'd have to review the tape, but I think the first question I ever asked you when we started interviewing, whenever that was five, six, seven <laughs> weeks ago, I think the very first question I asked you was what in the world is wrong with Ole Miss baseball? And at the time, it seemed like a legitimate question. 
and kind of was. And then here we are now sniffing July and, and they're, you know, not that long ago, they held the national championship parade. Unbelievable. It is. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, I mean, this team lost in consecutive weeks in SEC play to Alabama, South Carolina, and Mississippi State. None of those teams made the NCAA tournament. One of those teams didn't even make the SEC tournament. And they, and they were losing to those sorts of teams at, at one point before May 1st. And it's just unbelievable sort of the turnaround, really, since May 1st. Um, They've won. They won 18 of their last 22 games. Outscored opponents 160 to 74, and went 10 and one in the tournament. So they just something happened on May 1st, and ever since then, a, 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 a switch was flipped, and all of a sudden they became the 27 Yankees. It was it's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, there's so many key contributors on this team. Like, look at a guy like Tim Elko, hit it, blasting all those home runs. Kevin Graham came back from injury, was really huge for them. Jacob Gonzalez, one of the better shortstops in, in, in all college baseball. Their pitching came up huge. I mean, at one point during the season, this team like benched their starting pitchers based practically because they were pitching so poorly. And then it was a freshman and a JUCO starter that kind of that kind of got this team um, back to a place where they were all of a sudden. Um, like super duper relevant again. It, it, it's it's unbelievable, uh, it, and it, it's really really an awesome story to be honest with you. And you know, with Bianco, with all the pressure he was under, I don't know. To me, when you're dominant and you win, it's fun, but you kind of expected it. I don't know that in the moment there could have ever been a better feeling for a head coach celebrating a national championship in the moment than Bianco had to feel when that game was over. I mean, that was yeah, incredible story. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, if they if their season as a if their season kept on going at the trend that it was going at, I mean, people would have called for his job. Oh yeah, he was going to get fired. <laughs> and supposedly. Uh, they would have had. Yeah. I don't know if, if that would have been the right course of action, but they would have had some sort of case because. This team was the number one team in the country at one point during, during the very beginning of the year, and then it just snowballed into worse results and worse results and worse and worse results. It's part of that had to do with injuries, injuries, of course. But this was a really talented Ole Miss team at the very beginning of the year. If, I mean, if if everyone remembers that. Anyway, that was my last question. It's not a big deal because um, we were about to go to a, a take a timeout anyway. That was my last question. But I don't know what happened. Anyway, um, we'll communicate with him. But that that little bit more of an abrupt ending than you would like for an interview. But that's okay. The interview was over. We were going. I wasn't going to ask another question. We were going to go to a timeout. So we'll go ahead and do that now. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> You can call in and say Pete Rose deserves to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You can call and proclaim that the Houston Astros were the only team that stole signs. Just know this. Foot will disagree with you. Call into Footnotes with Kevin Foot at 337-706-0111. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Oh, 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to remind you, you need to join the game clubhouse. We talked about that earlier with our Astro getaway. In addition to that, you could win a $150 gift certificate to Cypress Bayou. Mr. Lester Steakhouse or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen or maybe a $50 gift certificate to Have Shell Oyster House. All of this can be done if you just sign up for the game clubhouse by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. It's free. It's simple. So sign up today. All right. Got a little bit of a diversion there. Uh, getting caught up on LSU and obviously really, really fascinating things going on. Again, it's probably happened, but man, you just don't get it a whole lot where major league pitching coach, hitting coach, or certainly a manager would leave in the middle of a season. And again, it's not like the team's doing terrible. I think they're in first place or they have been for most of the season. I mean, they're right there. I think they are in first place right now. I have to look it up, but. Um, and essentially he's tripling his salary and, as Koki said, going closer to home. So I guess it all makes sense. I mean, you know, that's part of the deal. And so it will be interesting to see how the Twins do from here on out. Hadn't figured the Twins out, you know, thought they were pretty good. And then last year they were miserable. And then this year I didn't really know what to think of them. They've won a lot of games. You know, Byron Buxton is starting to look like Byron Buxton supposed to look. Uh, Jorge Polanco came back yesterday and makes their lineup a little better. Correa's doing okay, but he's not doing great. But you figure if he stays healthy, he'll do better down the stretch. Uh, they have some good pitchers. I mean, Ryan's been good. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens for the Twins from here on out. All righty. It is day three of week, what is this? I'm losing count. I think it's week five of Footnote Summer Project. High school football. Uh, in the next seg- in the next hour, I'll kind of review. We had a lot of great nominations yesterday. I mean, a lot of great ones. And we'll have to go over that. Heartbreaking losses in high school football. So if you, if you haven't mentioned yours yet, uh, we've got today, tomorrow, and Friday. Still lots of time to give us your most heartbreaking losses in Acadiana area high school football. And we've got some great ones, and we'll be recounting those great suggestions. They were agonizing moments. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Where, oh, where has Manny been? Well, Kevin. Kevin. Yes, sir. How you doing? I'm I'm doing good. The Astros... um, crushed the Mets yesterday, and they didn't get to double figures, so I'm happy. Oh, man, listen, I, your boys are starting to swing the bat a little bit more consistently, you know. Uh, so uh, it's encouraging. It's, in, it's definitely encouraging. I was going to call that Friday. I, you know, Kevin, during the summer, I listened much more sporadically because my boss, uh, you know, I'm doing, when I'm working, I don't really have a boss, you know. I'm not, I don't want to act like I'm, you know, unless I do something wrong, nobody really. Hello? 
You still there, Manny? Huh? What's going on here? That's two calls now. Try to call back, Manny. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Foot, how are you doing? Pretty good, sir. Good, good. Hey, quick question. I got a couple of quick questions for you. Well, question and a comment. Um, are you familiar with a guy who played baseball for Bro Bridge by the name of Ryan Bruce or probably about a decade, decade, decade and a half ago? I certainly remember him. Yes, sir. I came across um, a young man. Who's a, he's an actor, and he is. He lists his hometown as Brobridge and played Brobridge and played baseball there. Absolutely, uh, and I, I saw on Facebook that he's you know he's going to be in this show. I, I didn't know anything about it. I don't I don't keep up with some of that sometimes. But but no, I did see that he's going to be in this this new show that's coming out. Yeah, exactly. And I think that may have been something I came across. It wasn't on Facebook, but it was on some article I read. I'm like, really? And it said he played baseball for Brokers, and I forgot what university he attended. But I want to say he went to attend. UL. I, I, I don't, I don't want to. I'm not totally positive on that, but it seemed like he might have pitched for a little while for UL too. But I certainly remember him at Brokers, yes, sir. Okay. Now you were talking about the transfer portal and how, and I say, I say Kevin is just exaggerating about how out of control it is. Um, so let's look at the numbers. You got about 500,000 college athletes in, in the NCAA, right? Oh, I don't know the number, but it's a, uh, that's believable, yeah. Yeah, about 500,000 nationwide. You know how many transfer use the transfer portal? 0.8% actually do the transfer portal. 0.8%? That actually that transfer or that actually or go into the portal? That go into it. Wow. That doesn't even include those that actually transfer, as you mentioned, because not everyone who goes in actually transfers. That's true. Yes. Wow. I, that 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 is a uh, shocking to me that that lower percentage because it sure seems like it's happening. You know, obviously way because, more than it ever did before. Yeah, that's because people talk about it, but, you know, the numbers really aren't as, as high as what we would like it to believe, I guess, you know? Hmm. You hear about it so often, but yeah. it, it, they're really not that high. You know? I don't know. There's a but lot yeah, of people so it, leaving programs, know, but, yeah. It's, it's good to know that you you heard about the young man, Ryan Bruce. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yes, sir. I remember. doing well out there in, um, in, in Hollywood. It's good to hear your voice again. Another blast from the past. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Hanging in there, you know, keeping busy. All righty. Well, thanks for calling, sir. You too. All right. Is our friend Manny back? You're not traveling in Gator, are you? Are you traveling around in Gator right now? Is that the problem? No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, just south of. Uh, I'm just south of. Uh, Abbeville, you know, so it's uh, it's a little dicey, Kevin. Okay. You never know when you get down here, you know, down in these, down in parts unknown, as I like to say. Okay, but so I'm, last I'm Friday, tell me. I was gonna call. I was gonna call last Friday. Yeah. But had this had this guy on the radio, acting like he was Kevin Foote, but he was talking about getting swept, and uh, 
I, I didn't want to deal with all that negativity. I was I angry. I was angry at the. Uh, we, we, you know, we should have won that game well, last Thursday. That well, umpire yeah, messed I mean, me up. That was a definitely definite a day to be angry. But anyway, uh, yeah, you know, you know, my summertime, Kevin. I forgot a much harder boss, as I was saying, than I have during my during, when I'm working. You know, my boss during the summer is much more uh, demanding than when I'm working. So that's why I can't always call. But anyway, I'm, Kevin, you went on an Alaskan cruise. Went on an Alaskan cruise. Kevin, that's what you know. When I kept hearing all his cruise talk, and I said, "Man, I just can't picture Kevin, you know, out there soaking up the sun." No, you know, uh, but man, Alaskan cruise is perfect. Huh, Kevin? Oh, yeah, I, I, I love it, uh, Gerald. When I interviewed Gerald uh, last week, he said that uh, he'd rather get a root canal than go on an Alaskan cruise. I said, "Cat, you go to the dentist. <laughs> I'll, I'll go back on the Alaskan cruise. I loved it." I've never been on an Alaskan cruise. I've been on two. Uh, you know, but the last one I went was my honeymoon 20, 28 years ago. But, uh, man, the Alaskan cruise looks like the way to go to me, man. Oh, no, it, I, I loved it. I just, I, the, the cruise experience to me is, is a, is a great vacation. You know, it, it, you, you can hardly beat it. it. Anyway, Kevin, listen, I just wanted to check in, touch base, let you know I'm still alive. And listen, I got tickets to, the Astros, when they play the doubleheader with the Yankees, the afternoon game on July 21st, I think. Uh-huh. So I'm going to be going down there. I wanted to go this week on Thursday, but I got to coordinate that with my daughter. She, she's got to work for a living, so she couldn't make it. But uh, I'm going to be going. But I'm, I'm going to be talking to you. And listen, Kevin, you know, we got so many heartbreaking losses. It, I can write you. <laughs> Give me one. I can write G- you give me one. On this. I, I, my worst one, I think, was uh, 1995. We lost to E.D. White. We were winning. They onside kicked it with about 30 seconds to go and got the onside kick and threw about a 40-yard touchdown pass. I think it was the second round of the playoffs at home. That's one that sticks out in my mind. But, but you know, there, there's a lot of camera. Between baseball and the uh, – and football, I could I could write you a long list, but anyway, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give you a holiday, back, man. Y'all have a good one. All right, thanks, man. Man, it seemed like I remember a South Cameron loss for Kaplan too. Maybe a three or four years before that. Sometimes the years go together for me. That's the problem when you get old. But yeah, I I, I remember that one. But also remember one South Cameron. It seemed like they were ranked like number one in the state or something, and got beat early in the playoffs. All right. We will take a timeout, come back, finish out the first hour next on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. As we finish out this first hour on this glorious Wednesday morning as the Astros try to make it four for four. Against the New York Mets this afternoon at 110. Justin Verlander is on the mound, scheduled anyway, for the Astros. Wanted to mention something that I meant to mention yesterday, and then we got kind of had a lot of fun with our high school football heartbreaking losses yesterday, and it kind of it didn't happen, but I wanted to make sure to mention it. Great name. Uh I didn't remember the real historic parts of his career, but over the weekend. Marlon Briscoe 
died. We've interviewed um, like Lloyd Mumford. We talked about living in this area, not that, and and he was a little bit after this. But uh, Durio Harris was in this studio, and 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 our good friend, or I thought he was my good friend, Raymond Parch, didn't tell me that Durio Harris was coming. Uh, right before that, I remember Marlon Briscoe as a wide receiver for the Dolphins, and and he was. He was a wide receiver for the Dolphins in 72, 73, 74, um, right in that era where I was watching a lot of the Dolphins football games as a young kid. But prior to that, he became the first person, a black quarterback, to, black athlete to play quarterback in the AFL. Uh, for the Broncos, he played in five games, didn't start the season, and then he went to Buffalo. And some of this I didn't really know, um, certainly not as a youngster. He went to Buffalo and and was a teammate of James Harris, who um, played at Grambling and later became the first black quarterback to win a playoff game uh, for the Rams. So, no, certainly remember Marlon Briscoe, great athlete, and uh, didn't want to – not mention that at all and um certainly had an impact in 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 the world of football and so cert- definitely worth mentioning that will do it for the first hour we'll come back and get a little more into our high school football next on the game Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros want to remind you Astros play today at 110 against the Mets fourth game three and0 so far against the Mets can get to five what are they one two three four they're already five and two can get to six and two on this nine game stretch with one the left if they can win today Verlander is pitching the Mets seem to be reeling a little bit but this is baseball you just you just never know when it's going to happen. And um, so I would think that the Mets are going to bounce back a little bit soon. I just hope it's tomorrow and not today. So we'll see what happens uh, with Verlander on the mound. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, We um, plan on getting back to some high school football. I'm going to go over some of the great suggestions we had yesterday as on our footnote summer project, heartbreaking losses. And there were some, some doozies mentioned yesterday and several more that we haven't, that have already been given to me that we haven't mentioned yet. And we'll, we'll get to that, but I wanted to, again, I've said before, I try to stay away from the Sean Watson thing because I'm kind of waiting for the dust to settle it's a highly emotional topic, and, and uh, so I've just, you know, made comments here and there, and I'm about to make some comments, and these comments are totally 
from a football perspective. I'm not talking about the morality of the situation. I'm just, I'm talking totally from a football perspective. I don't know if you heard what Vinny Iyer said or he thinks is going to happen when he talked to Raymond um, at the beginning of the 8 o'clock hour, I think it was. I was on my way in. I think it was at the beginning of the 8 o'clock hour. And he made the comment that he thinks, or at least he's heard talk, that the Browns are going to be able to essentially push back the contract a year. In other words, it's not this year it's going to be like it didn't even count. So let's say he uh, gets suspended for this entire year and then comes back the following year. Then his contract that he signed would go into effect. Man, that's even better. The Browns would be coming off even better. I'm talking Again, I'm talking about a football. We're just talking football here. I'm not talking about the crimes and, and all that. If that really happens, the Browns are going to come out of this even better than I thought they would. I, I just, I don't, he, he, I'm talking purely football here. From a football perspective, I don't think when you're the Cleveland Browns and you haven't had above-average quarterback play, but want. Twice in the last 60 years, maybe 70 years. Like, Brian Sipe had a stretch in the late 70s, early 80s. Brian Sipe was pretty good quarterback. Now, he didn't play for, like, you know, 12 years for the Browns or something, but... There was a stretch there, and I'd have to look up his career, late 80s, early, late 70s, early 80s, where he was, a, he was definitely an above-average quarterback. He was pretty good, Ryan Sight. Um, and then you had Bernie Kosar. Now, Bernie Kosar is a, you know, I don't know. That guy's weird. But anyway, he had a stretch where Bernie Kosar was definitely an above-average quarterback. Should have went to one or two Super Bowls, but they couldn't overcome the Broncos. Um, but that's it. So in the last 60 years, maybe 70 years, they've had two above average quarterbacks. That's better than the Chicago Bears and at any. But, um, and they both located near the water. You get the trend there. But, um, in windy, ugly weather a lot, it's hard to play quarterback. You don't want to get drafted by the Cleveland Browns or the Chicago Bears ever. But, and so if that happens, if it plays out, like Vinny was saying, I know everyone's hammering the Browns and they deserve to be hammered. I can't stand them. I'm tired of getting owned by them. I really want to beat them. But I don't think they're going to, what's waiting one more year? You've been waiting for seven decades. Seven decades. I mean, my point, I hear all these people bashing the Brown. I'm talking about pure football here. I'm not talking about morality, crime, 
football. What's the difference between waiting a year for an elite quarterback and waiting a year as you draft a guy and redshirt a quarterback and then have no idea how good he is? Let's say Aaron Rodgers left and and Jordan Love played. Like you've been waiting for one or two years and you then you don't even know how good they are. Like the Chiefs probably had a pretty good idea how good Mahomes was when he basically redshirted one year. I, I, I think, I think, I could be wrong, I think the Browns are sitting back and saying, look, this is awful. But they kind of knew he was going to get suspended. I don't think they're that disappointed from a pure football standpoint I'm talking here. I don't think they're all that disappointed. Because they had to figure he was going to get suspended. And what's one or two years to wait for an elite quarterback when you ain't had one in 70 years? Now, Brian Sopp was close, and Bernie was close. Neither one of those guys are what they're getting here. So we'll see how it plays out. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, what's going on, Kevin? How are you, sir? You know what? They should change the names of the Browns. You know, you could basically change it any color. They ought to call them the Blues instead of the Browns because that's all they have is the Blues. Well, they give me the Blues. They've owned me my forever. Kevin, you ever seen that show, uh, Once Upon a Time in, in the Queen in Queens? No, sir. On ESPN Plus, where they they kind of oh. talk they talk about the story about the Nets oh, back the in Nick, the day when the they, uh, they were rivals with their Astros, they were, they were Strawberry Good, and then uh, Kevin Mitchell in the whole game. I did see a little bit of that, but not much. No, I saw the next one, but I saw the next one. Uh, I thought that one was really good, but I, I, I don't know. I, I could. I, I saw like one scene from the Mets when I, I, I couldn't stomach it. <laughs> you needed to see the part where they did when they were playing the, uh, the Astros in that that big series where they, you know where they beat them. Where they were talking about Mike Scott and how he was cheating. Well, that really would have got you fired up, but uh, you know, yeah. He was, they were grabbing like a whole bucket full of balls if they were all scuffed on what he was doing. Uh, you remember that when they were going on, did you? Oh, I certainly remember that. Yeah, I mean, I, that wouldn't have affected me. I mean, again, scuffing balls, I mean, that goes back to the 19th century, just like stealing signs does. I, I, don't, I wouldn't have thought nothing of that. Kevin, All you got to do is not swing. I don't get that. All you got to do is not swing. Do you know anything of what position he plays, anything about him? Wait, who's that? Who's that? The Cajun. Wait, who, about who? what player? I missed the beginning of what you said. It was on the all promo. Like, in between hours, they were talking about the Cajun got a transfer from a portal to a guy from Florida State. Baseball. No, I, I, I couldn't say that I know anything about him, no, sir. Okay, well, then you're from somebody over there knows about it. Can you find out about what did it, what position he plays, anything about him? I would appreciate it for nobody. Okay. So, uh, have a good day. Okay. Um. No, I, 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 I did not see it. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't mind. You know, we can talk about '86, and we, we you know, in in a heartbreaking program, that kind of thing, but. Um, but but to sit there and watch a show that celebrates the Mets, the Mets was so lucky. Like I, I I heard a New York announcer say 
the, you know, he basically said the 98 Yankees and the 86 Mets, he never had more confidence that they would win. And, and look, they had talent. I'm not arguing that. But, you know, they had no business beating the Astros and they had no business beating the Red Sox. Like, how often are, is a team win a world championship and they were lucky to win both rounds? They should have lost both rounds. They got outplayed in both rounds. The Red Sox outplayed them, should have won. The Astros outplayed them and should have won. Um, all right, I'm being told to answer FedEx Man's question. He's a pitcher. Yes, he's a right-handed pitcher out of Florida. He's a number 16 right-handed pitcher in Florida out of high school. Um, his name is Jackson Nezu. He, he is... 15 and 1 pitching innings, uh 50.1. He has 18 hits, 14 earned runs and an ERA of 8.22, measures at 6'1, uh, 180 pounds, and perfect game ranked Nazu the six number 16 in Florida out of high school. I think that um there's going to be quite a few pitchers. Um you know, I was hearing some talk that there might even be some transfer from Ole Miss, but after what happened, <laughs> who knows now? I mean that stuff could change, but um, uh, but no, there's I, I think th- there's going to be the Cajuns are going to have to do a little bit of uh, uh they're going to have to reget some pitching, no question. There just wasn't enough pitchers this year to make a run as deep as they could have, and so they're they're, they're going to need to get some pitching, no 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 question about that. Speaking of recruiting for the Cajuns in a different sport. Um, they got a commitment that I know the Cajuns are very excited about. And he's it, it, it's a wide receiver from Destrehan named Daniel Blood. What a unique name. And got a chance to talk to him yesterday. He's a very delightful personality. Very respectful. Seemed like he fits perfectly into what um, the kind of player that the Cajuns like. And, you know, one of the things that's it, you know, they, they also got Landry Cannon, who's offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman from Destrehan. They got a running back, Elijah Davis, who goes by uh, Bill, which is funny to me. Because uh, when I was a kid, not when I was, well, when I was a kid, I used to watch um, Fat Albert. And then when one of my kids was a, kid i forget which one it was either taylor probably or right they, they used to watch the show we used to watch little bill which was kind of a takeoff of that a little bit and that's who he was named his nickname bill came from but um you know and, and all of them and matt broussard interior lineman from ed white all from that southeastern part of the state and uh assistant coach mike giuliani who i you know coach des used to recruit that part of the state when he was an assistant coach now giuliani does and the cajuns have had some success for sure in that area you know elijah mcguire and you know a lot of you know ragus and a lot of good players have come from that um part fleming right now came from that you know and before he transferred to you know, wide receiver from Thibodeau. And so Cajuns have had some success. And um, if I'm a Cajun football fan, I feel good because, you know, I think there there's a really good relationship right now between them 
and the coaches in that area. And obviously, Coach Giuliani is doing a great job um, as a primary recruiter uh, from that part of the state because they're a lot of the commitments that they've gotten so far for the twenty three class is uh, is from there. So, good 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 things to to look um, forward to from a recruiting standpoint. We don't talk a ton about recruiting. But uh, no, I did get a chance to interview quite a, uh, a few of the of the of the UL commitments, and hope to get a few more. And um, I know they're really excited. It sounds like you know the coach from Destrehan is excited uh, that I think the Cajuns, you know, well, it'll be interesting to follow blood and see. You know, this is a a kid who started. He's going to be starting for his fourth year at Destrehan. That's not a donkey program. I mean, they've his freshman year they got beat by Acadiana in the state finals, and then his sophomore year they got beat by Acadiana in the semifinals, and then they got beat, I want to say by Zachary, if I remember correctly, last year in the semifinals. So he's never done any worse than lose in the five A semifinals, and he's been a, you know, he's a really good uh, a good player for them. So certainly some success for the Cajuns in football. As far as the baseball, you know, we'll see, and you never know how that's going to work out. He didn't have good numbers like Hannah just read, and he's had some injuries from what I understand. But, but again, when a, a transfer comes over, sometimes their numbers could be terrible and they could turn out great, or the numbers could be good and they turn out terrible. I mean, again, that's why I'm not a huge, you know, get all excited about the transfer report or get all excited about recruiting because you just don't know how it's going to work out. But I expect a lot of new faces. I mean, the pitching staff's going to be almost totally new next year. And so we'll just kind of see. Some of them will work out and some won't. Hope enough work out so they can have uh, take a little bit step closer to where they want to get to. All right. We will take a timeout. When we come back, I'm going to read off, in case you missed it yesterday, a lot of the great suggestions we had as part of our heartbreaking losses on our uh, footnote summer project and maybe add a few more to it. That's the plan anyway. We'll do that next on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 29th, 1977. Future Hall of Fame outfielder Willie Stargell hits his 400th career home run as his Pittsburgh Pirates route the St. Louis Cardinals 9 to 1 at Bush Stadium. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Willie Stargell, one of the very famous p- people I've had a chance to meet and shake his hand. His hands were mammoth. He also had arguably the most iconic stance and pregame ritual in his at-bats in the history of baseball. I mean, you could argue it was the best, most iconic in the history of baseball. So, got to love Willie Stard. Played for a, a teammate in the 70s for the Pittsburgh Pirates with Manny. Manny Sanguin. 
All right, want to remind you, Astro Weekend Getaway 3, Saturday, July the 30th. You can be there, but only if you register at the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. You, if you do that, you could win four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park Hotel accommodations that Saturday. Astro Weekend Getaway, powered by Butcher Air Condition, La Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, let's do this. We'll take a call from the game hotline, and then we'll give you all the nominations we've gotten so far and maybe add a few more that we've gotten and had mentioned on the air. Let's go to the game hotline and talk to Al. Hello. Hey, I got a hard work, heart uh, breaking football loss for you. Okay. Uh, Notre Dame uh, High School lost to John Curtis in 84 on a reverse screen. Last One of the last plays of the game. Wow. Now, was I this heard, in the playoffs? I heard from a referee that Notre Dame dominated the game physically. And, uh, and uh, just on a reverse screen. And another guy that uh, a young other guy said they knew the play was coming. They saw it in the film. They knew the play was coming, but the end didn't uh, miss his assignment. So that was a very heartbreaking loss. It was a semifinals, but, you know, it, Curtis played Bell Chase in the finals, so kind of, it was kind of really the finals. I got you. So, so uh, that was I, a heartbreaking loss. Well, I'm glad you told me about that. I don't know that I'd ever heard about that game. Uh, so, no, I appreciate you um, bringing that one up. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thank you. No, I need a – Coach Cassidy would have still been there in 84. Uh, that was towards the end of uh, of Coach Cassidy being the head coach there. So, no, I don't know that I – I don't know that I'd, I've heard about that game, and if I have, I've forgotten it, so I appreciate – I'll bring that up. All right, here's what we got so far. I, and I'm telling you, once we get to Friday, we're going to have a tough time narrowing this down to 10. We really are. We've got uh, Carr, Brobridge, 93, where it was at Berman Stadium, and everyone um, from Brobridge and probably even a few from Carr will admit that the clock was a little curious the way that happened at the end of that game. And uh, Brobridge to this day feels like uh, they were cheated in that game. Um, Amit, 21-20 over Cecilia in the 1994 Class 3A semifinals. Jamaican Dartez's last game at Cecilia, heartbreaking. We uh, had Central 10-7 over Acadiana in the 08 semifinals, as well as a loss to a quarterfinal loss to Catholic High in New Iberia in 09. We had Iota losing to Jonesboro Hodge in 1990. Uh, 14 to 10 with Norman Bradford scoring twice late in the fourth quarter uh, with Iota leading 10 to nothing for a lot of that game. We've had, um, let's see, Turlings on the Derwin Antoine block field goal return for a touchdown in 1986, beating uh, Lorville, beating Turlings at Clark Field in a first round playoff game. We let's see what else we've had um, earlier today. Manny called in Edie White, be recovering an onside kick 
in beating Kaplan at the buzzer in 95 in a second-round playoff game. John Curtis losing 14-11 despite a heroic effort from running back Cornelius Garrett. I was at that game in the 1987 I want to say that was a second-round game, but it could have been a quarterfinal game. I'm not exactly remembering that one. All right, a couple of other games. 2004, Neville, 25-21 in the state quarterfinals. Essentially, St. Martinville was going on a knee. Going on a knee to run out the clock. I don't know if it gets more heartbreaking than that. Again, you're playing Neville, one of the iconic programs in the history of the state. St. Martinville's going on a knee. But instead of just going down, kind of, you know how sometimes you just kind of run off to the side and kind of run a few seconds off the clock, then you go down? We've seen that. A fumble took place, and Neville picked it up and ran it back for a touchdown. Again, this was like this was like the St. Martin Parish version of um, Herm Edwards and Joe Pasarczyk, Miracle at the Meadowlands. You're running out the clock. You're going to beat Neville to get to the semifinals. Pretty sure this was a quarterfinal game. And in running out the clock, they fumbled the football, a la Herm Edwards, Joe Pasarczyk, um, in that famous NFL version of the uh, – it's going to be hard to beat that one. I'm just telling you. we had to, That one's going to be tough to beat. Um, another one that was given to me that we haven't mentioned yet was 2017 coach Davidson farewell. Katie Anna had won 20 something straight home playoff games. And ironically, I mentioned this to Michelle on, uh, this past Saturday prior to this game where Hornville Beat Acadiana 43-42 in overtime. Acadiana had won 20-something straight home playoff games. Going back to 1997, when Rustin beat Acadiana at Bill Dodson Stadium. And on that Rustin team was Kyle Williams, who got in, you know, had the great career at LSU and the Buffalo Bills and was inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame this past weekend. Uh, he was on that team. But uh, that that... 43-42 loss in overtime on a two-point conversion that's still being disputed. That was tough. That was a tough one. That might have to be in the top ten as well, of course. A lot of that had to do with you just you just don't kick off. You're better off kicking it out of bounds and giving them the ball the 35 or 40, where I forget, I think it was the 35 or 40, whatever, uh, than to... Um, uh, than to kick off to a great athlete and he returned a couple for a touchdown and then got the onside and then got the two point conversion. Uh that one that one's a tough one. No question. So we 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 we've got some some brutal suggestions so far for sure. We've also had um someone bring up a 10 uh, 14 to 7 overtime loss in a regular season. So I think he said it was in 91 uh Karen Crow losing to Lafayette High. Uh, Ellis brought up a game from around 1959 or 60. And um, I think that's all the suggestions we had so far. 
Uh, oh, no, uh, gentleman Shane brought up a New Iberia losing to St. Aug in the state championship game in in uh, 1979. That one w- w- was mentioned as well, as well as 1982. For those of you who have been around this area for a while, you remember this. Turlings did not give up a point, not a touchdown, They didn't give up a point all season. And early on, they're playing at Pan American Stadium against powerhouse John Curtis. And John Curtis scored early in that and won the game. And so it was, you know, when you're undefeated and unscored upon and you get – the letdown, the emotional letdown of a team finally scoring on you and they just didn't rebound. And I think that was the state quarterfinals. They lost to John Curtis at, uh, I can imagine when you're on the high that they were on. Um, Bobby Green was the head coach. Our old friend Tommy Baddon, who we've interviewed several times on this show, the UL track coach, was in a, a young assistant coach on that team and all that. Um you know, the A-Bear brothers, et cetera, were, were all on that team. And uh, I can imagine the emotional letdown that was. So, yeah, heart, heartbreak. I'm sure they definitely were heartbreaking. But it wasn't a end-of-the-game kind of heartbreak like that St. Martinville loss. Oh, man, that, that was tough. That was tough. Or that, uh, that uh, the, 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 the Puka Williams-Acadiana loss in overtime where – you, where it looks like you have a guy stuffed to win the game and he somehow goes, you know, dies and gets into the end zone and there's some question whether he was really in or not. Oh, man, those are the kind that are just agony. Agony, agony, agony uh, for the loss. So we're going to have some um, – we got some more we have not mentioned yet and hopefully we get some more that I don't know about. Really, that's my favorite part of processes like this is to hear a game like this John Curtis, Notre Dame lost to John Curtis in 84 that I didn't really, if I knew about it, I've forgotten it. I, I like to learn about games that I didn't know about. And um, that was right at the beginning of me getting into, really getting into high school sports. So don't know that I, I've heard a, a lot about that game. So appreciate Al calling that one in. All right, we will take a timeout. If you have any more suge- any thoughts about anything we talked about today, but especially some more suggestions to add to this list, please give us a call at the game hotline 706-0111. For now, we'll take a time out. We'll be back on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Brett Musburger's action update. Heads Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station want to remind you, you need to join the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. In addition to being eligible for Astro getaways like we talked about earlier, you could also win a $50 gift certificate to Cypress Bayou. 
Uh, no, a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or $150 to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. All these great prizes you're not eligible for unless you join the game Clubhouse. So do so today. It's free. It's simple. Sign up at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. All right. One other thing that I, I I meant to mention earlier, but I, I didn't, uh, that Vinny R mentioned in, as a possibility that would you want to talk about perfect. If you missed it earlier in the eight o'clock hour on RP3 and company, he mentioned the possibility. You know, most people think, and I tend to agree, that Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield. Third-round talent drafted, number one overall, is going to go to Seattle. Most people feel like that's probably going to happen. But Vinny brought up the idea that maybe he'll go to the cheaters. Now, that would be fitting. Baker Mayfield playing for the cheaters. He actually fits in kind of well there to where, you know, somebody else can carry him. Like the defense and the running game can carry him. So he just has to do a little bit because he's certainly not capable of doing a lot. Um, and plus, I don't like him. And he'd be going to a team that I hate. And so that would, it'd be, it'd make, it would make it even easier to pull against a cheater. Now, that would be perfect. Baker Mayfield going to the cheaters. All right, let's go on back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Foot. This is the guy from South LaFouche. Hey, how you doing? Good to hear from you. Very good, sir. Well, you, you know, you're talking my specialty, high school football history, man. So I got, I got three comments about three different games that span about 21 years. Okay. Uh, first of all, you mentioned that Turling's lost to John Curtis. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was the quarterfinals. That night, we lost down at South Lafouche. We lost to Rummel in the state quarterfinals in the in the four A playoffs, thirty to six. After having a six nothing halftime lead, we got blasted in the second half. But um, all season long, we heard about Turlings, 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 who was unscored upon, and it was kind of a magical story to follow. Being from there, not knowing where Turlings was, you know, who's this Turlings? Where's this looking? Right. Over here to Lafayette, and you know, it kind of became a story. And then, of course, John Curtis got a hold of him, and that was the end of that. But you know, who else was on that team? Um, now, I don't know if he was significant on the team because I think he was a sophomore, but I know he was on the team. He's told me this himself. Was uh, Coach Tank Lotif? Stephen Lotif was on that team as well. Yeah, yeah. Tank was. Uh, he might, probably was a freshman because i want to say tanks a year younger than me so i that he yeah. was probably a that freshman was our, that was our yeah. junior year in high school the 82 yeah. 83 school year so right yes sir that sounds right yeah so but anyway now um you mentioned yesterday that 14 to 11 say martinville john curtis game in 87 i was at that game as well the thing i remember about that game was it was freezing cold do you remember that I was in the press box, but yes. Yes, it was horribly cold that night. And I remember, man, that I had some nephews who went to school at St. Martinville. That's why we went to the game. And uh, we were there, and while we were hearing some noise that week, this is the year we're going to beat John Curtis. And John Curtis just came in and said, no, not, not this time. They could have. 
They could have. Uh, it was close. A, uh, my suggestion that I'd like to uh, put, you know, I've, I've been living here in ERAF for over 30 years. And in 2003, that was the year when the Faroo, um, Derek Faroo was quarterback at ERAF. He went on to play quarterback at McNeese for four years. He had and that, that memorable game against, yeah. Team ERAF's ever had. Uh-huh. And they went 8-2 and two that year. And in the second round of the playoffs, they played an undefeated West St. Mary team. And during the course of the game, there were some extra point issues. So Coach Byler decides to go for two when they scored the potentially game-tying touchdown. It was 28-27. And they go for two. The offensive line opens up for Derek Faroo. He runs right through, and somebody tripped him up by the ankle. And his elbow hit the ground, and he reached the ball across the goal line after his elbow hit the ground. So he was down. Good call by the officials. At the time, a little controversial. But the game was actually on TV on one of those New Iberia West St. Mary stations, and I watched it the following week, and it was a good call. But it was a heartbreaking loss, 28-27 in, uh, in the playoff. Never easy to swallow. No. An, an, interesting, an interesting fact about ERAF, you know, down here we have a proud football tradition, but they've never won a whole lot of things as far as district and state playoff games. Something a lot of people may not know, ERAF has never won two playoff games in the same season. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that, just a little tidbit there right. for you. All right, well, i got to get to another one. It's great uh, talking to you as always. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey. Howdy. Well, I tell you what. You know I got some. <laughs> oh, you got plenty. You, I, let, you let, let's what? try to space I, them out, though. I'm not going to give you yeah. any of the losses. They're, they're too many. They're too heartbreaking. I'm going to give you a victory that we actually lost. Okay. And this, one, this, this game was 40 years ago, and I'm still mad at it today. And I don't care if they got Notre Dame people listening. Tell you something. 1983, last game of the season. Church Point, 8-1. Notre Dame, 9-0. Church Point's never beaten Notre Dame. Game is in Church Point. Church Point had to win by six points or more to be able to get into the playoffs because of the point system. We had lost to Turlins. Notre Dame had beaten Turlins. And we had to win by six points or more to make the playoffs. It's either 28 to 21 or 21 to 14. It's a seven-point spread. I remember exactly what happened. Notre Dame's got it, and they're driving probably around the 15-yard line. And they decide, we're not going to win the game. We're going to kick the field goal. We're going to lose the game on purpose, but we're going to make the playoffs. They line up to kick the field goal. I don't know if it was planned or if it was a bad snap, whatever. Notre Dame's holder rolls out, and I, I, I saw it on the film. Lee showed it to me. He's past the line of scrimmage, throws the ball, touchdown Notre Dame. I'm not mentioning the referee because he's passed on. Notre Dame decides now, oh, we're going to go for two. The heck with this. We're going to try and win the game now. There's no time left on the clock, by the way. That was the two-point conversion was the end of the game because the play before. The goal for two, they don't make it. It fell incomplete. Church Point wins the game either 28-27 or 21-20. They win. 
we don't make the playoffs. We sit home at nine and one. Wow. And the next Won year, the or the game year, or and year still after, heartbroken. They come back and they come up with the wild card. So teams like that get a chance to make the playoffs and not have to stay home at nine and one. Right. To this day, I still have not gotten over that. I understand. Because I don't blame I, you. I thought it was probably the best team Churchborn ever had. Throw in the last two years, those teams have been right there. And, and that late, later that football year, the Mike Lansford Saints game happened. So, man, that was just a year of frustration, a season yep. of frustration for you. And the, ne- and the next year, 84, we go to Welsh in the first round. We lose 14-13 on a failed two-point conversion. The, 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 one, the first two-point conversion of many that we've lost on in the playoffs. But that year, I went to that game. Notre Dame and John Curtis, that the caller called about saying Notre Dame had won the game. They just didn't win the game on the scoreboard. Bull. Bull. Riley Zonbreaker made the catch in the end zone. He was out of bounds, you know. And then they go with the kickoff thing or whatever. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> okay. I don't care. The man. Because of 1983, when they cheated, decided they were going to kick the field goal, lose the game on purpose, and still make the playoffs. To this day, I have got no use for Notre Dame. Okay. I never have and I never will. Okay. Bye. Bye. Man, the man. As you could just tell, as he's reliving it, he's getting more angrier, angrier, and angrier. I get it. I get it. All right, time for one more quick one before our final timeout. Hello. What a great organization the Houston Astros are. (laughs) Just keep on beating up the amazing Mets. (laughs) I hope we don't run out. I'd like to beat them one more time. They look look a little intimidated. You know, I – I think it's possible they're intimidated, but I also know how baseball works. Sometimes things yeah, can turn but, around but, in a hurry. But just tell a Mets fan that thunder they hear in the background, that's not that's not bad weather. That's the Atlanta Braves coming. I mean, remember when they was 12 games up and it was over, the division was, oh, yeah, over. was over? What's going on? Over. Yeah, they said they told me that in May. Said it's, it's over. over. Yeah, that's what Mad Dog said. It's over. Wow. But, Foot, imagine, imagine you, you're rooting for your team. You up six points with, with with forty-eight seconds left in the game. They got a fourth and four from the about the the I think it was the thirteen yard line. And they run a play. First of all, I don't think they got the first down. Then the stadium goes pitch black. Every light in the stadium goes out. When they come back on, all of a sudden the clock don't work no more. They had no timeouts left with some like forty seconds left. Patrick Sertan, which played for the Miami Dolphins, ran four quarterback sneaks with 40 seconds left and no timeout left, and they won the game on foot down. How can that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm just glad I wasn't there. And, I, and when the game's over, you, you, you're so scared in that stadium with no lights on, you just want to get out of there, so you ain't even got time to fuss. You just pack up the bus and leave. Oh, I've been there. I know yeah. what you mean. Oh yeah, it wasn't a pretty sight, but 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 yeah, we got cheated by Carr, but uh, it, it, that that was a heartbreaking. And then if we win that, they go to Cecilia the next week and play Cecilia to go to the dome, and they beat Cecilia. So we would have played Cecilia in the semifinals. Can you imagine that? Oh, that would have been something. Exactly. So all right, Foot. Talk to you later. All right, take care. <laughs>
Whoo, man, you could just hear the passion. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, finish out today's show on this glorious Wednesday next on the game. Notes, I got to tell you, I sympathize on Matt with that last time. I'm getting a man. I'm just when you're old and fat like me, and then, you know, like in about the seventh, maybe eighth inning last night, I'm sitting there watching the Astros Mets game, and I'm like, man, just. I wanted the Astros to get out for two reasons. One, I didn't want to score more than nine runs. And I thought they were about to do that. And thankfully, uh, Guillermo. Man, this guy, Guillermo. I didn't even know who that guy was at the beginning of the season. This overweight-looking second baseman I never heard of for the Mets, Guillermo. Like, the Astros can't get him out. He just sprays singles all over the field. And then he makes this great diving catch. To 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 keep to bail the to bail me out and keep the Astros from scoring ten or eleven runs because it looked like they were gonna about to have a big inning there. Man, I don't know who this guy is, but he can hit. Kind of reminds me of a middle infield version of like Tony Eusebio. Not a power hitter, but that cat can just sprinkle spray singles all over the end. I'm impressed with him. It's only been three games, but the Astros can't get that guy out. Plus, he did the Astros a humongous favor by making that great diving catch uh, on J.J. Matichevic hits a hits a a shot with two out and two on. Uh, look, don't mess up a great victory by getting there by piling on late and getting to eleven and twelve runs. That's a bad situation to be in, and fortunately, he bailed me out. But I again, I don't know where that guy came from, but man, he's been impressive. Guillermo been really good. Uh, against the Astros, and hopefully hopefully he gets a day off today because McNeil came back last night. and McNeil's had a nice season, but I think the Astros got a better chance of getting McNeil out than this Guillermo guy. Man, that guy. Again, he's not a great power hitter, but he just knows how to get hits. I've been, I've been impressed with his approach at the plate and very, very, very thankful for that diving catch he made last night to keep the Astros from adding on late. All right, so we'll see what happens with that. We'll get more high school football memories tomorrow, and we've already got more than 10 great suggestions, so we're going to have a tough time narrowing it down. But that just adds to the fun of it. We'll see if the Astros can get to 6-2 and two in this New York stretch and 4-0 and oh against, as Troy calls them, the amazing Mets. 110 first pitch. You can hear it all right here on the game. Have a nice day.